This podcast is a production of Restoring the Core, an initiative designed to assist those looking to explore classic Christianity with Connected Age resources online at restoringthecore.com. This is Finding Hidden Treasure, episode 96. This episode is on the treasure of God-revealed reality. There are occasions when the things we encounter in life are counterintuitive. While we expect one thing, reality turns out to be far different. One of my favorite examples of this has to do with mathematical probabilities concerning matching birthdays. Here's how the problem is stated. How many people picked at random would be needed so that there is a 50% chance that two of those individuals share a birthday, not necessarily the year, but the month and day of the month? When I first encountered this problem in my college years, I thought the answer would be about 183 people as that would cover the number of half the days in the calendar. I was astonished to find out that the actual number is 23. I've seen how the equation is set up to determine this probability. While the method to determine this can be demonstrated rather quickly, after all this time, I still find the answer to be counterintuitive. There is a passage in the New Testament book of Philippians which gives us a spiritual equivalent. It is quite counterintuitive. However, as one can step through the method for determining the truth of the answer to the matching birthday problem, I believe that the Bible gives us the needed information to step through one of the most seemingly difficult commands we find in its pages. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. If you think about it, this statement is rather startling. We are told, actually, commanded, to rejoice in the Lord always always. We would naturally ask ourselves if this is even possible. Consider the large range of problems we face as humans. Wars, disease, economic oppression, terrorism, family discord, addiction. That's only a small list of the evils we face. In the light of the difficulties and evils we face in everyday life, how can we rejoice in the Lord always? In this episode, it is my goal to supply an answer to this question. It is not my intention to be dogmatic and tell you that this is the only approach to answering this question. However, I think the answer is supported by the Bible. In the process, I will be stepping us through some verses of Scripture and reflecting on what they tell us to better understand the reality which God reveals to us in the Bible. In taking some first steps to answer our question, I think that the verses which follow immediately after Philippians 4.4 begin to give us a framework to work with. Let's read verses 5 through 8. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In these verses, we are reminded that the Lord is near. That must factor into our view of reality. There is an American figure of speech in which some geographic place is referred to as a God-forsaken wilderness. For the Christian, we need to be reminded that we live in a God-inhabited reality, not a God-forsaken one. Interestingly, Paul then addresses a problem common to humanity, namely, anxiety. 
Paul begins his cure for anxiety by telling us to be anxious for nothing. Sounds similar to what he wrote about rejoicing. He applies all-encompassing terms. Rejoice in the Lord always, not sometimes. Be anxious for nothing, not be anxious for a few things. Anxiety has its origin in the way we think. When we're anxious, it is the result of our thinking and our perception of immediate and future events. Paul's answer for anxiety centers on a spiritual resolution. That solution is by prayer and petition to God, with the promise that God will guard our hearts and minds with his peace. However, Paul isn't done yet. He continued writing, and what he wrote continued to impact how we think. We are told to focus our thinking. That thinking should not be centered on our problems, as real as they are. The Lord Jesus warns us in his parable on the four different types of soil on which the seed of the word of God falls, that in the third type of soil, the growth of the word of God in our lives is not promoted by worried thinking. That, along with the earthly diversion of pursuing monetary wealth, actually stunts that growth. See the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Paul tells us to center our thinking about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent or praiseworthy. Clearly, how we think about the world around us determines how we live out our lives in Christ. We find Paul writing with a similar goal in mind in his letter to the Colossian church. In chapter 3 and verse 1 of that letter, we are reminded that if we are in Christ, we are to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, and I'll add seated right now, at God the Father's right hand. The place of the mind in the Christian life is the beginning of the answer to our question of, how can we rejoice in the Lord always? In his letter to the church of the city of Rome, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds. As we proceed through scripture, particularly in the Gospels, we are told that God-revealed reality doesn't always line up with our perception of the reality we perceive around us in the natural world. Like the matching birthday problem mentioned earlier, we find that God-revealed reality is quite counterintuitive to our earthbound thinking. The Lord Jesus indicates that the first will be last, and the last first. To truly live, we must daily go on a death march, carrying our cross. Another verse that gives us insight into this counterintuitive reality, which God reveals through Scripture, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. In this verse, Paul wrote, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This begs the same kind of questions I raised earlier when I read Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. How can Paul write about the problems we face in this life as light and momentary affliction? See though how he completes the verse by referring to an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Our problems in this life are painful and real, very real. However, we are promised that those problems, with the pain and suffering which accompanies them, will be replaced by glory which cannot compare to those problems. An analogy might be helpful. Let's say a well-known financier came up to you and indicated that he has an offer for you. If you will endure a one very difficult eight-hour workday for him, this financier will pay you a billion dollars. In this analogy, you know the person is actually able to pay you the billion dollars. His ability to deliver on his promise is not an issue. 
How would you approach the offer to work that very difficult eight-hour day knowing what waits for you on the other side of it? What difference would it make with that offer present in your thinking for those eight hours? How would you think about the problems of that workday differently, knowing what awaits you? I think that this answers the question we started with. How can we rejoice in the Lord, always knowing the kind of world in which we live? The Lord is eternal. Our problems are not. In the midst of horrible problems we face here, having a mind centered on the God-revealed reality of an eternal weight of glory allows us to rejoice in the Lord, not our problems, in the midst of suffering. That weight of glory far outweighs even the most dreadful and terrible situations we can face here on earth. One last thing, what's this eternal weight of glory which awaits those who trust in Christ? Let me weigh in, pun intended, with what I think is the answer. Let's turn to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. This chapter consists of what has been called Jesus' high priestly prayer, which he prayed on the night of his arrest. I think that verse 24 gives us the answer we're looking for. In context, the Lord was finishing his prayer by praying for all of his future followers. He prayed about a desire he had for those future believers. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Once more, God-revealed truth must shape our thinking about God-revealed reality. Think about the answers you'd get if you asked a broad cross-section of Christians what the best thing about heaven will be. I suspect that most of those answers would center on taking our favorite earthly experiences and heightening them to what we think are heavenly-sized proportions. Yet the Lord Jesus' desire for us in the world to come sounds remarkably different from what we might expect. Consider that at the point that the Lord Jesus prayed this, he was only a handful of hours away from being arrested and facing the horrors of beating, crucifixion, and worse yet, a sense of separation from his father, a sense of separation he had never before known. Impending death has a way of focusing our thoughts. The trivial and useless drops away. That which we know to be important is central to our thoughts. And at such a time, Jesus' prayer for his people was that he would have the joy of showing them the glory which the Father had given the Son from all eternity. We know that Christ's desire would be to give us the best gift possible when we as believers know that seeing this glory will be the greatest experience we could ever have with the added benefit that this seeing of Christ's glory will never end, we can begin to understand that ongoing suffering, oppression, pain, and misery in this world doesn't need to keep us from rejoicing in the gift that Christ has begun to give us in this life and will give us in its fullness in the life to come. Thank you for listening to this program. We can be contacted at mail at restoringthecore.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash restoringthecore. You can also follow us on Twitter at RestoreTheCore. My original blog is still active. It is found at schoolofthesolitaryplace.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time for Finding Hidden Treasure.